Welcome back to Cottonmouth Manchester, the City Centre podcast for Manchester and Salford, brought to you by CityCo, the City Centre Management Company. I'm Vaughan Allen from CityCo, and today I'm talking to researcher, innovator, academic and speaker, Claire Devaney. Claire's been working over the past decade with the Royal Society of the Arts, Salford University, Joseph Rowntree Free Trust, that's hard to say, and <laughs> others investigating and promoting new models for building the relationship between citizens and their communities. She's presented a couple of TEDx talks and is the founder and director of Citizen Eye, a platform for citizen-led research and innovation, and co-founder of M4, a platform for civic connectivity, which I had to take a run at because that's quite hard to say as well. <laughs> you should <laughs> see what's, what's written on my business card. <laughs> yeah, no, well, I was, actually, that was thinking about that as one of the questions. But how do you actually define yourself? Um, Claire, give us a bit of your background. Uh, and, and then how did the connection with the RSA come about? Oh, thanks. Well, first of all, you know, thanks for, for inviting me to do this. You know, I'm very honoured to be here, obviously, with this accent. Although I, I like to think I'm quite posh, but, you know, people tend to know where I'm from and it's not from here. But I have lived and worked here for 10 years now. And um, and so I like to think that I've at least got hybrid status between between well, Scouse and Man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so I, I emigrated over here then uh, about... Uh, six years ago, although I've been working here for about 10 years. So one of my first roles here was with New Economy. And during my time at New Economy, I had an, an interview for a role at the Royal Society of Arts because New Economy had been um, instrumental in setting up something called the City Growth Commission, which in turn was instrumental then in bringing about devolution. And... Um, I had had a breakfast meeting with uh, Sir Howard, which is always, you know, a great start to the day on anyone's diary, but um, an even worse start for some others because at least I was on Sir Howard's side and we were talking to the Technology Strategy Board who once again at that time hadn't um, invested any of the future growth catapults in the north. So there was a bit, this big northern hole in the catapult. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that situation has been rectified since, but nevertheless, so I had come straight out of this breakfast breakfast with um sir howard and, and the tsb and i was all fired up you know and there was a there was a lot of northern grit in there and and i had this interview via skype with the with the rsa and i have a very small tablet a microsoft surface tablet you know and the screen is like 10 inches if it's if it's anything and um i really clearly remember these three members of the rsa who were interviewing me and then became colleagues kind of looking at me you know like the three wise monkeys out of this out of this surface tablet and um and I gave them both barrels about what I thought about them not having a northern presence you know not having an RSA north and kind of as well that that um, I mean, even then, I already had some fatigue around commissions. Everything needs a commission, and to some extent, it still does. Um, and also about the, the the funding of those commissions, the agendas that they need to respond to. So a lot of the time, commissions are set up as, as independent research, but but they have to dance to somebody's tune, right? And and so a lot of the time when they are set up like that, that it's research that not only asks a question, but knows the answer. And uh, controversially, nobody's, but I think it's true. Nobody, nobody sets up a commission or an investigation <laughs> or brings in a consultant if you don't already know the answer. Yeah, it's exactly. Right, do. exactly. So, um, so I had this interview with them and, and later on, 
a colleague of mine had said that it's the most lucrative interview that I didn't get because I then went on to work for them for three years because I didn't get that position. But nevertheless, I became the woman in the north. And so over that period of three years where I was a, a research fellow with them, I uh, worked in Oldham and I did the, the Oldham Education and Skills Commission, another commission, um, and some work around innovation up there with um, Carolyn Wilkins, who's a, a brilliant and, and really uh, forward-thinking chief exec. Um, and I, I delivered a, a portfolio of work with the Heritage Lottery Fund around heritage identity in place. And we did a lot of work around, around Manchester and Manchester's heritage, Manchester's identity, which ties very closely to citizenship. And um, and then lastly, I did this piece of work with, with JRF. So I won't try to say the, the, full, the full title. To my shame, I, I once did some research funded by them as well. So I should, I had a job for about 18 months and was funded by them. So I should be able to say it. So, so yeah, I work with the RSA and JRF on, on looking at citizens and inclusive growth. So, so the RSA is, is um, that's one of the, the main um, philosophies that they're developing now around this idea of inclusive growth. And so the purpose of that was to see how we engage citizens better in that quite financialized still idea of growth, you know, and how inclusion works in practice. So, so I went off, I'm, I'm doing a PhD as well, sorry for rambling on, but you know, I am a scouser, as I said, I and it's my job. <laughs> yeah, this is just the intro. Like I said, really big business cards, right? But um, I'm doing a PhD as well, and I was in America, so I was able to look at what, what America is doing around citizenship as well, and then look at some European models as well. So it was a really interesting project. And, and sorry, just in parentheses, has, has that mm. changed? I mean, you talk about the RSA not having a presence in the North. It does now have a presence in the North, doesn't it? Um, it, it does, does it does. It does events, yeah, and it's got a very active fellowship. The Northwest has got its most active fellowship outside of London, but you know, I mean, at the time, and one of the things that I had um, critiqued in my in my interview, which unsurprisingly I then didn't get to the colleagues, is that you know I was we were having conversations about decentralisation. We all had to get on the train to London, right? Ludicrous, and and you know, I mean, it, it, that has moved on since, thankfully, but. Um, as I say, a very, very active fellowship, at least. But no, no building, you know, no office here. But you know, maybe that's not not a bad thing because not everything needs to be experienced in buildings, right? So, so yeah. Yeah. Whereas I guess ten years ago that would have been seen as a flaw. Now it's seen as a, a positive, isn't it? That I think so. You can be a bit more flexible and, and react and lean and all that. Stuff. And I mean, some of the work that we did with HLF around heritage was was working with museums as well and. And um, although I work in innovation and, and the economy, I have a, an interest in cultural heritage as well. So, so in my PhD, I'm actually looking at cultural heritage and innovation. But um, the, we found in Manchester, particularly this very like utilitarian and, and I think idiosyncratic way of viewing culture that it is experienced in museums. So there are buildings in which you experience culture. There are buildings in which you experience faith. That's not necessarily, that's not a critique of Manchester. I mean, I'm just saying that 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 kind of um, aspect of its character was quite heavily expressed in that, you know. So in that 
everything is built. There's built and buildings. And I would say as well, and this is a small critique as a resident here, and you know, I own my property here as well, so I have investors. This is to <laughs> just kind of soften the blow. But I have a whole range of um, scouse heels, which are like, you know, six inches taller than an hour do in Manchester because the public realm, in my opinion, is disgracefully right. And I've broken so many of them. And I think that, again, there's something quite idiosyncratic about that in that it's the space in between the buildings that that um is 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 less invested in less well looked after you know less well maintained and i think less understood as well right so anyway yeah yeah i, th I, th I think that the um what you were, what you were saying particularly around cultural heritage and people's perceptions of cultural heritage uh, i think that's a really interesting thing i'm uh, talked about far too much on this podcast having run urbis and uh, for a few years and, and the whole point of that being around popular culture and bringing in populations who weren't used to being in museums and galleries um, very much uh, part of what we um, deliberately did, and I gave a keynote at the Museums Association conference about it, was to challenge this notion, which came down from government, but was also clear in arts institutions, um, that having ordinary people, in quotes, engage with art involved getting classrooms of people from not particularly well-off communities, um, from schools particularly, to go in and sit in front of a great piece of art and then be told about that and that would be then counted as engagement with culture and art and i do think one of the things that has changed substantially in the last decade and we've, we've just done a podcast with manchester histories festival is very much that self-awareness that everything is culture that people have been talking about since the 60s but really hadn't filtered through in any way um there's much more willingness to listen to people's own histories to the histories of their communities and i think that's one of the good things that probably has come out of the world war one commemorations as well it really has all been about what was your grandfather doing? What was your grandmother doing? And obviously the suffragette story as well, that actually that sort of social history thing um, has become de facto how we think of history and how we think of our, our experiences. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm a trustee of Manchester Histories as well. So actually, yeah, they even let me in there, right? <laughs> um, and uh, I... I I think that there is this much broader understanding of what culture is, what hist what heritage is, and and that there are many stories which which formulate the collective story of a city and a place. Um, I think that it's much easier because actually my although I, I work in in economics, my background is in the arts, and my my original my degrees are in English literature. So I'd, I'd be much more likely to write you a story than do you a forecast, you know. And you only need to look at my bank account to know I'm not numbers. I'm I'm words, right? I'm a word words person but um yeah I mean I think there's just this understanding of like how individual stories relate to the arts movement the cultural movement not so much in the economy which is part of my work which I'm, I'm sure we'll go on to talk about but but it's easier to make that link and and again to kind of have this um to get this human perspective in something like the arts which which forms this like neutral platform for for that understanding to develop less less easy in with something like the economy which is so financialized you know so but yeah. but the impact of one on the other i think is probably something that has been somewhat ignored and there are all sorts of interesting stories most of which i probably can't actually record um around how almost folk memories affect 
how people use a city and therefore actually where shops work, where bars work, where restaurants work, all that sort of um, the podcast we did with John, John Schofield around around King Street, um, particularly interesting. Um, the one that we did with Haley around Northern Quarter history um, and how that still flows through into the quote creative quarter, but it's becoming slightly less creative as, as things move out into Ancoats particularly. And actually how those sort of folk memories of Mancunians and the people who came in, how they still... Um, almost control what goes where to a certain extent. There, there are particular reasons. Northern Quarter has always been that slightly chaotic, long before it was called the Northern Quarter, that slightly chaotic area. It used to be where you went to buy monkeys and, and um, buy all sorts of things <laughs> in open markets, even in the 50s and the 40s. Um, so it sort of fit mm. that you'd have bars there and performance spaces and actually not artists, studios. They, they were never there. Um, but it sort of worked. In, in King Street, even when it dipped... Uh, it, it sort of it was never going to come back as a collection of artist studios and co-ops and whatever. It was always going to come back with what it is now: the high-end jewelers moving into F and B, which is the, which is the gradual social change. And I always find it fascinating that psychogeographical thing of as you wander through a city, some somehow that history of the city continues to be reinterpreted mm, in, the, in, mm. in in new ways by people and continues to be remembered by people as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, my own kind of experience with psychogeography really is when I first moved here, I can tell you that I got lost all the time, right? And I used to put it down to to Liverpool being being by by the river, by the main, you know, the Mersey, you know, yeah, exactly. And it, and everything is in like straight lines and things. But you know, I know that you have three rivers, and and you mentioned John Schofield, and I so John Schofield and I have had discussions over the validity of those as rivers. I'm sorry, Mancunians, but it's true, right? Compared to the Mersey, but because they're very You're right on the banks you know, of the river, well yeah, exactly. I can see one out the window. I can see one out the window, but but nevertheless, I found it very confusing psychogeographically. But um, yeah. I think that that the, there's always a, a heart of the city, or it feels to me like like I mean, as we said in our preamble, you know, I live in the northern quarter, and and it feels to me that it is still that kind of heart of creativity, at least, even though as I have said, you know, some of my work is around innovation, and I think that innovation is like characterised and understood here at the moment as something that happens on Oxford Road, right? And something that that is uh, happens in the university is around IT, is around graphene, when actually um, that that art and, and creativity and heritage is so important to innovation, and particularly here because um, although it, it still pains me to say, but but you know I am I am as I say like a a, a, um, a pseudo mank at the moment. So 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 this is the the city of entrepreneurs, the centre of industry, and and of innovation. And really, I believe, you know, people talk about the fourth industrial revolution now and we're in the heart of the first industrial revolution. And I genuinely believe that we can, we, Manchester, comes very easy to me now, we can lead the fourth industrial revolution as well. That's interesting. You keep referring to um, sort of stumbling over the, the we, but I think there is a, uh, you know, we all know that the way, not the Northern Powerhouse so much, but certainly the links between cities are going. Um, there's there's growing links between Manchester and Liverpool and indeed Leeds as well, that sort of M62 corridor. You come back in about 20, 30 years, I'm not going to say there's going to be continual conurbation between the three because mm. there's the Pennines in the way for a start. Mm. Um, but I can't imagine that they probably would be. But actually, the way those cities work together... They have to work together because they're the only counter, only way you could counterbalance London, really. Yeah. And I suppose yeah, Glasgow, Edinburgh corridor at the other end of the of the country, if Scotland stays in the country. Yeah. Um, so 
where we've seen those sort of baby steps, which is starting to get larger and larger, mm. um, in things like digital and things like the health sciences, you actually need that mass of population, that mass of workers, and, and I guess that mass of facilities as well. So, yeah. you know, I can't imagine we'll ever be talking about, I don't know, Manchurpool or something, <laughs> Manchester, whatever it would be. Um, but, and keeping those identities, I mean, it's, it's amazing mm -hmm. here, we're in the OL, um, uh, we, we did a, uh, an event um, in New Bailey, uh, which always amuses me as a name opposite Spinningfields because that mm -hmm. was where people were executed up to mid-Victorian era, um, <laughs> where the prison was. Um, and you sort of think a developer would want to change the name, wouldn't you? But anyway, um, <laughs> but we did an event there and um, there were some questions about the, the relationship between Salford and Manchester. And I think one of the things I tweeted at that point was in, in 10 years, you will see the Irwell as the connector in the city, not the divider yeah. in the city. Mm -hmm. And that sort of idea of Buda and Pest being connected by the Danube. Mm -hmm. Okay, the Irwell might not be quite as pretty as the Danube, um, but it'll get there sooner or later. And the Irwell connecting Salford and Manchester, which is good. Um, I'm rambling, so I will go back to, to you. Um, how did that interest in community stories and engagement come about? Is it something that's always been there? Yeah, I mean, I, I, like I said, you know, my my actual my personal background is in is in English and literature and the arts, and I've I've worked a lot in the arts as well, and and um, words are, are everything to me, you know, as you say. I, I can, I can use them a lot and you know and, and do tend to and 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 as part of that you know I, I have a real interest in in communication and I think certainly in in engagement and and in how that's manifest that's very important to me but in the words themselves so actually even though yes I I would say that I am an, an advocate for community engagement. My instinct really is to pick apart what those words mean. And I think that we operate in a very abstract world at the moment, particularly when it comes to, to the economy and, um, and within which um, people and organisations can talk about community development and not really have explain or try to explain what community means what development means what it is you know and and um same with in inclusive growth as I, I i was saying before you know part of our role in in the systems and inclusive growth project was unpicking what those words actually mean and there is this inherent uh, exclusion in inclusion right and the other thing is as well that that for me and and um you know again maybe this was part of the end of my tenure with the RSA, although I'm still a great advocate for their work and I will speak about some more of it in a minute. Um, uh, yeah, inclusive growth is like the emperor's new clothes because if we're talking specifically about financialized growth, which we still are, then we've always been included in other people's financial growth, right? So, so just kind of putting a terminology around that is is to me no great shake. So, so I think that, Yes, I'm, I, I've always been interested in in um, the idea of community and, and what that means. Engagement for me um, suggests that there's two two sides really, and, and and one of my things that I'm developing around my my um, economic thinking is this idea of a fourth way. So where you have we're operating in this binary at the moment and, and primarily that's manifest in, in economic versus social. So economic is everything, money and social is everything else, right? Which is like casually disregarded a lot of the time. And then there's this third way thinking and a lot of consultancy operates in that. And a lot of the time they put the terminology from either or together. So inclusive from the social side, growth from the economic side, and then we make something that works in the middle and that we can sell, you know? So... 
Um, and then there's this fourth way that I'm I'm advocating for now, which is taking a step back from all of those to to uh, think about this human perspective. So so engagement never really works for me either. But but you know I, I think um, of course you can be too careful with words, and that's a, a critique that I've had of of myself, and and you know that I I critique myself on as well. But um, but but that's my job, and I, and I think it's it's very telling when people start to use these words and and you and you challenge them what they mean by it so yeah I think, yeah it's interesting i mean the inclusive growth thing you'll hear that's obviously increasingly being talked about by certain councils and then you'll find other councils who will actually absolutely avoid and hate you using that phrase at all um we have some we're talking more about social value at the moment because that tends to be a very in thing as well um you do tend to 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 wonder whether the citizens who are the objects of these these plans no care whatever about the differences between these things and actually you can get into some very heated arguments mm. with people saying that you shouldn't be using inclusive growth particularly a financialized model of it so um yeah uh, bringing it back to something that actually has meaning is is always really interesting and i mean you talk a lot about added the sort of bringing citizens back into the equation. So you have the public sector, the private sector, the not-for-profit sector as well. Mm. Um, but then you have citizens either as individuals or groups. Mm. Um, why do you think they've been left out of the equation and how do, how do they get added back in? Um, well, actually, I think one of the, one of, oddly, some of the most disenfranchised citizens are people who happen to be in the public, private or third sector, right? Because there's always this other in as well, that citizens exist beyond that. But, but, you know, people who work in the, in the public sector, private, whatever, they're, they're citizens as well, right? So, so again, I'm, I'm always thinking of this concept of the fourth space, which, which actually encompasses all of those things and, and isn't othered. Um, a lot of the time, it, it kind of fits with... So rather than the fourth realm this is actually a way of tying the other three realms together yeah of well. course yeah i mean it fits with what i was saying if you can if you can um kind of visualize the 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 economy on one side the social on the one side and the third way in the middle private public third fits precisely into that and then there is there is a, a call now i think as we are going into this fourth industrial revolution and we're going into to what a lot of economic theorists now calling it economy 4.0 right so so that is where the, where we've had um state-centric free market socio-economic schools of thought around econ uh, the economy we're now moving into this ecosystem economic so so there's a there's a growing awareness i think of the role of the individual in the economy and as economic agents and i guess the tension on that level is that for so long individuals humans have been cast aside in this social box right and so and so it's now now more and more the economy is being recognized as a social science and so again there's this call now for something around humanity and i, and I think that also relates sorry that i think that also relates to the um to the the challenges that we face the economic challenges that we face so so this call these call for a human response so i'm talking about global challenges there of course you know um sustainability and and the environment but also what we see in our streets every day in stark focus and very real focus that um you know that kind of disenfranchisement this needs a this needs a, a human response I mean, you, you, you use the word citizens, which is an interesting and quite a loaded word as well, yeah, isn't it? Because yeah. um, talking about the theories around the French Revolution and so on, the citizen has always been something that has responsibilities as well as rights. Um, 
I mean, I mean, do you accept that when you talk about citizens? That that implies that people have responsibilities as as well as needing to have rights. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's um, at the basis of the difference between human and and citizen in in lots of ways. You know, I mean, again, words. It's very difficult to to think about what which words are right to use, and we we could talk about that. But I, I mean, I I started using this and talking about citizenship when I was in America, and again, I mean that's very loaded, right? So in America, citizenship is something you get stamped in your passport, and you know, um, and and I think that there's a case to be made for reclaiming citizenship and reclaiming citizenry. Um, I I know that I've worked with colleagues who are more more. Um, comfortable with using the word civic but to me civic sounds well behaved right and I think that that is another um, instance of what's happening in lots of ways that that citizens are seen as something to be scared of but sometimes it's in the way that it's manifest right so so when we were talking about heritage a lot of the time citizen engagement in heritage is people standing outside an old building that the council are going to knock down even though the council are meant to be representative of the citizens you know and and um, that's a whole kind of worms but nevertheless that's how citizenship manifests itself and then they're seen as this dangerous force and so um, if, if you're proactive and out there and, and saying things sometimes against the council you know I mean uh, they're, they're shot down you know so so I don't think citizen I don't think citizenship is something we should be scared of and I think it's something we should reclaim but yes there is a responsibility there in, in as much as I mean, I don't think it's necessarily in anyone's remit to to um, manage that responsibility or to say whether you are maintaining that responsibility, right? Yes, not the social contract <laughs> that sort of drifted yeah, off in about yeah. 2000, didn't it? But, exactly. But um, I, I said that I was going to be nice about some RSA work and I am going to be so, so, so there's a, an amazing professor who's at UCL called Mariana Matsukutu who um, is developing developing some work around mission-oriented economies and that is about working across boundaries whether they be geographic so we when we're talking about Salford and Manchester before Liverpool and Manchester or um you know theoretical or industrial and she talks a lot about industrial strategy and how that's always been um about competition between industry sectors in silos and what more and more what what she is proposing and the and the rsa has helped to develop is this idea of missions that we all, all work together toward missions and so for me that links to the idea of responsibility that we have a a, a moral responsibility on some of these missions so as i was saying about our, our homelessness at, at the moment here you know i mean i think that's a moral responsibility for all of us to do something about it um but but that it, it's it's a collective responsibility toward these shared missions and for me that's the only way forward really so it's about collaboration rather than competition ultimately i think on a very low level and on a very tactical level i think one of the things that that's still surprising and it's changed quite a lot in the last decade i guess but it's still surprising is i mean we, we do a lot of things with with businesses on a very tactical level getting them to work together to clean up st Anne's square or market street or whatever it would be um and employees come out either on csr days or just as as part of volunteers um and increasingly you're seeing businesses accept that their business rates do not pay for that sort of thing if you want a, an added whatever every time we do that we get inundated with tweets from people going that's the council's job that's the yeah. council's job that's the council's <laughs> job um and you know you, you sort of think well 
if you haven't seen the front page of the MEN for the last six, seven years of how, ma- how many cuts there have been, and, and was it ever the council's job to pick up litter, mm-hmm. litter in quite that way, you know, because mm-hmm. then you get to an inevitable point of, well, I might as well throw it anywhere because the council's going to pick it up. Actually, it's job making if I do that, which I have heard expressed, honestly. <laughs> um, but it's, it's fascinating. You still have that mindset. So even, so it's sort of, it's great that you start to work with citizens, but actually citizens themselves can be those who are looking to those big organisations, the public sector, the private sector, to provide all the solutions for them. Mm. So sort of how do you work with people to, I hate the word empower, Mm. um, but allow them to take their own power, their own rights um, seriously Mm. and start to work themselves or work together to, to develop those things wow that's a big question right so so i've actually just written down the word democracy and i think that um you know what we're talking about is is saving democracy there and and, and i mean i think disenfranchisement happens on lots of levels and it's manifest in people just throwing litter on the street right or whatever it is because okay you're right about responsibilities as well as rights but then there's rights as well as responsibilities and when those rights are eroded then I think that people respond less well to the responsibility then as well. Um, I think there is another um, argument around empathy, which is that uh, recognising that that councillors, the council, um, people in the council and uh, people who work for the council, people who pick up litter, are humans as well, right? And are citizens as well. And so always, you know, there's, again, there's this kind of false dichotomy, I think, a lot of the time that it's like citizens versus the council or, you know, there's all this othering and, and kind of what I'm advocating for is is not doing so much of that, you know, and, and having more of a holistic view and and putting the infrastructure in place then to support that. So, so just as um, just as we we need to be to be more uh, holistic in our, in our approach to 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 those kinds of things, we need we need uh, um, something that supports democracy. So that's why I've written this down. Um, and and again, I'm trying. To, I'm struggling because I'm trying to avoid the word empowerment. But like so so not democratic empowerment necessarily. But I feel that yes, it's disenfranchisement really that. The way that our democracy is working at the moment, if it's working at all, is that people vote. A lot of the time they don't believe in the vote that they're putting in. They don't think it's going to make any difference. And sometimes they don't vote at all. And, you know, we've seen this. We've seen how this is manifest. Um, But I think that, that a lot of that has been around this, again, binary system of thinking where it's like yes no in out in out particularly you know has caused all sorts hasn't it recently but but and that's what voting is that's what democracy is there's no space for deliberation and and you know when when you very kindly invited me to do this and you and you were saying that you know you will have room to talk like people don't have room to talk anymore right everything has to be in sound bites or in tweets or you know, which is great and has its place. But nevertheless, we don't have a deliberative democracy anymore. So I think that, first of all, that needs to be sorted out. And then I also think that that there's room for technology as an enabler in that, in that, um, uh, in, in re-establishing that democracy. So, so I saw something in, I'm trying to remember where it was now, in, um, 
Taiwan, in Taiwan, where they're using something called Polis, which is an online um, a democracy tool, and it looks for consensus. It, it gauges public opinion, looks for consensus, and then and then the the council, the the governing authority over there responds to that, and and there is a direct line between citizens and the council or whoever it is who's who's developing policy it can be policy or it can be strategy or it can be you know what are we going to do about this litter but it's a it's somewhere that you can um gather a qualitative feedback as well so so it's not just yes or no there's this deliberative platform which we desperately need yeah, it's interesting you're talking about the othering. I mean, I think that's that's one of the things that we see all the time is um, if you disagree with a particular council or whatever it would be, uh, directive or policy, there's a natural assumption, and whether this is a post-social media thing, um, to assume that this is people sitting in darkened rooms planning to do you down personally or to do down whatever it is that you believe. Um, and, and the idea that there is, and, and um, our, our board man, member, uh, the lovely councillor Carney, talks about it all the time, is this belief that even in today's times, the council controls everything that happens in the city and has the ability to do that, which just, even, even 10 years ago when it had a lot more money, just wasn't the case. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, the councils are fallible people like everybody else, um, t generally doing things for the best as they see it. And you may disagree with it fundamentally, uh, but there isn't a sort of great long uh, meetings where they decide how to destroy the environment and, and whatever. And there, there does seem a belief and an unwillingness to engage and a, and a belief that maybe that's an easy an easy answer and an easy way of seeing things. Mm -hmm. And I think we see that on a global scale with an awful lot of the issues that we have around Brexit where nobody will talk to each other and nobody will actually find shared ground because they're too busy abusing each other. Mm -hmm. But then again, you know, I'd like to see something really positive come out of this, which for me, this idea that we have missions, that we have missions as a city which which respond to our challenges and that we respond to with this innovation and entrepreneurialism and creativity that we spoke about before makes me feel like we could join together and you know I, I don't know if that seems too idyllic or utopian or something but it's one of those things particularly through technology and I think one of the one of the small tragedies of Brexit in in a, was that there started to be quite a lot of really quite interesting work coming out of people like um, Douglas Carswell and Dan Hannan, um, who are now only seen purely as Brexiteers, and mm. and, and, and so uh, sort of their work is ignored. But actually, they started and, and on the sort of the right libertarian side started to talk a lot about citizen democracy and 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 the use of technology for democracy, the use of technology for health, and all this sort of stuff. Um, which I'm sure there are, there are people on the left, but because they were MEPs and MPs at the time, they, they got quite a lot of publicity for what they did. Unfortunately, because then direct democracy ended in the referendum, mm. effectively, which mm. possibly gave it something of a bad name, a lot of that other good work, um, how you actually get people to be involved mm. uh, without going through the sort of the Swiss thing of having however many hundred of referendums a year to, to, to try and um, get public policy made... Um, has probably been ignored um, but uh, you know it, it will be interesting and I guess the way of making it sexy is making sure that the tech is involved and it's all very digital and, and, and very fun how then of course you deal with the, dis the, to the utterly disengaged from technology mm. um, that submerged 25-30% of mm. my age and older um, quite often um, becomes a problem in, in itself and I think that's going to be an ongoing thing for our society more widely. Yeah, absolutely. But then again, you know, I mean, you, you referred to um, my 
TEDx's and, and in that I always show or in any speeches really I always show the World Economic Forum's top 20 skills for digital jobs in in 2020 and the top three are, are complex problem solving critical thinking and creativity these are innately human skills right and so there's a delicate balance I think in in as we go into this new world around how we embrace that around how we how we think about coding and and skills and you know, we we were talking before um, the cast about about drones and there's all sorts of things that we need to consider. But I don't, I, I it shouldn't be at the detriment of 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 that human side of things as well, right? And you know, there's there's um, concerns around um, automation and things like that. You know, that that we actually need to address. I think by investing more in in human development than than less. Yeah. Yeah, there actually have been some quite interesting meetings recently about the impact of AI on jobs, even in Greater Manchester. So it is something that, um, again, maybe because it's it's possibly a, a slightly sexy topic, but it is something that people are starting to think about and take quite seriously, which is which is really interesting. Um, going back to your projects, talk us through the M4 platform. What, what projects have you, you been involved with? Yeah, okay, so... so M4 is is a pilot program to pilot some of this idea around fourth way thinking. So, so as well as this kind of um, key binary aspect, and then the third way and the, the fourth way is a kind of strategic principle. That it also might the four element. So I'm known like as the four woman now, right? It's just like her fours and dreadfully in my first TEDx I had to sing which was horrific because um, I was playing three as a magic number and then going to go no it's four but we couldn't get the um the copyright so I had to actually get on stage in front of 2,000 people and sing it right so yeah horrendous but I wouldn't sing now um so so another way that this four aspect manifests itself is this idea that there is an an individual and then a, a, a connectivity to yourself then a a connectivity to others and then collaboration and then that goes into a movement right so so for me that's a really interesting way of describing how individuals and this economy or or global challenges or whatever it is that sits at the top in this movement level can can interconnect with each other and um what we did with m4 is bring a a collection of individuals together you know and it was a, a pilot program but so there's only like you know 10 engaged citizens but nevertheless we we um worked as a, a collective we collaborated with other people and we're, we're trying to like develop this idea of whole self development and then how that links to manchester as a place you know how we operate as citizens within that and um we we've applied that so so a few of us who were in, engaged in that initial collective I've applied that recently to do an evaluation of street support. So I know that Sitika were in, involved with, with street support. We, we helped fund yeah. it, the bid funds yeah. it now in, in Manchester. Yeah. Which is a, an amazing um, charity working with uh, people experiencing homelessness and, and in service provision as well and, and doing brilliant things. Anyway, and so we, we um, led an evaluation of that, looking, working with individuals who are or who have been recently experiencing homelessness as researchers, so not just as subjects to be researched, but as researchers, and getting people to consider their own individual um, citizenship, their own individual links to street support, their own individual relationship with Manchester, 
and and I feel like um I mean I, I don't know if you know this but I won a, I won an, an economics prize <laughs> I didn't win actually I always say that but I came fifth in this global economics prize but that was winning to me because because the University of Manchester economics team came first the University of Cambridge economics team came second and I came fifth right and I, this is a solo effort that I wrote in my little northern quarter loft and I will say as well that I was so hungover on the day that I wrote it right so so anyone can be an economist is the the moral of that tale but but I, I put this in and, and it was it was um, um, in response to a call from uh, the World Bank, from um, Goldman Sachs and, and, and others, other investment banks, um, to find an alternative to GDP. Because more and more in this recognition that we're going into this fourth economy, economy 4.0, we're seeing that productivity is becoming increasingly obsolete as a way to measure the economy and to measure economic success. So we see it here and it, it annoys me that, that you know, we can... We can um, say oh we're doing so great as an economy we're so successful because our GDP is this and then you know and then there's these people on the streets and you think well you're not really doing that well right so so my proposal is around connectivity and in measuring connectivity so how connected people feel to themselves to others to the city to the world and um, and there's a, a line about place that runs in that as well so so how much a city contributes to you and how much you contribute to it. And I think it can be very simple, right? So I, I propose this um, scale of one to 10 stuff, but you know, I mean, a lot of the time when you're dealing in productivity and, and you know, as I said, I worked in new economy for a long time. So, you know, but, but the, the more complex the calculation a lot of the time and the more extrapolated these numbers are, then the more nonsensical they are, right? So, so it was something very basic about how connected do you feel and that, for me, is something that we could we could measure successive economies on, right? Um, I think as well because on the other side, disconnection, social disconnect, is our greatest challenge. I think, in lots of ways, and manifests itself, you know, in cities, in city tower blocks, in 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 loneliness, in all sorts of things. And so, um, yeah, I'd, I'd put this idea in around connectivity and measuring the economy. And that is what we tried to do with M4 as well, to, to measure how connected people feel. So on a very small scale through M4, we've done this project with Street Support to, to um, demonstrate that that works in practice. And so, so next really is that we're going to try and do it on a, on a, on a bigger scale, you know, and I'm, I'm hoping to develop that through Citizen Eye. And to take that forward, so, yeah. which is really interesting. I mean, obviously, we, we are we're quite heavily involved with, with street support for numerous numerous reasons. Um, but certainly, uh, I mean, my, my deputy on the, the homelessness partnership board and, and working through that, the, the, the willingness of companies and, and the desire of, of companies and the corporates to um, actually make a difference rather than just push people away um, has. Been something I talk about a lot has just been changed so much in the last five or six years mm. as obviously they've seen people on the street but I think there is a willingness and I think uh, Manchester probably council uh, probably hasn't got the credit it deserves for things like it's uh, almost 180 degree shift into, into something like the our Manchester project mm. where they really are trying to design services that actually fit the needs of the citizen um, rather than just to have them in the way they've always been designed in in the past and part of that has been what we found around rough sleeping particularly but around most other areas is that lived experience thing is is absolutely crucial to it don't design something not involving the people that it affects yeah. is absolutely so and and 
I guess that's frustrating in many ways because sometimes it can be a bit faltering. Sometimes it can go down the wrong alleyway and then have to have to. Um, it's not as quick as as the top down. We'll we will do this whether it whether it's right or wrong. Um, but it's patently the right the right way to do this stuff. Um, I guess one of the problems you're always going to get with this though is um, how you avoid the question of you know the loudest voices getting involved and, mm. and getting what mm. they want mm. and and again getting that submerged 80 percent 90 percent and and going back to empowering them and involving them in the process as well yeah and i mean it's it's in it's in how you do it right so um another another set of fours which i love um is you know the 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 who the what and the where and and I, I apply this kind of tripart, I think, when I talk about place. So so um culture, social and spatial. So the who, the one, the where, okay, we can establish those and, and measure those quite easily, but it's the how and the how is the important bit. And I think with for instance, with corporate social responsibility, you know, there's there's something about doing that at distance, or there's something about that being embedded into the the DNA of of the company or the organisation. But um, uh, yeah, I think uh, uh, I've lost me me track here. Sorry, Vaughan. <laughs> what was it you were saying? We were talking Let about sort of how how do you actually get that that submerged 80, 90 percent of people involved in the process going back to that that question of empowerment engagement rather than letting the loudest voices oh that's um, it yes sorry I've, I've been making notes and kind of got confused myself but um when I was in I did some work in Seattle for the RSA as well and and looking at what what they were doing out there and and the mayor there has actually disbanded their neighborhood councils because he called them exclusionary cartels right and and, and a lot of the time this is this is what happens so so that's my thing about the how currently there is some great work going on in um in northern ireland of all places that really need some 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 help at governance at the moment but uh you know with all the all the problems in in stormont but but there's a, a citizens assembly being set up there and and you know the the um guys that are, are leading that are, are doing the best to make sure that that is reflects the diversity of the northern ireland uh, population and etc um and there's there's similar stuff going on in in Scotland as well. So Scotland has responded to an independent commission around its uh, parliament and and established a, a um, centre for engagement and and it's got a public participation officer now. And so th there's these um, the, the spirit is there, right? And so I I think the the best way to do it is just to try and see what happens because we do things differently here right um remember that that first project that we've done was with street support and we have we have been doing something like that citizen assembly through the project we did with them for our most disenfranchised citizens so you know i mean that was a real um challenge and and it's one that is delivered in spades as well because now you know some of the the guys that we were working with as researchers you know on the startup for citizen journalism platform and you know it's, a, it's amazing to see what's what's happened through that process so so i believe that we can do that but it's just in in trying it out yeah you know so so let's let's do it <laughs> where do where do you think the um the corporate sector fits into this landscape mm -hmm. Well, I think I was saying then, you know, I mean, uh, a corporate social responsibility has been around for, for for a good while now, you know, but but it's in the how that you do it. And, and so I think that rather than 
I don't know if the corporate sector has been othered or is othered itself or whatever, but, you know, I, I appreciate that it's difficult for corporates to to think about something that is less about financialized growth you know so 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 i understand that there's there's business needs as well but but maybe in in not just doing um kind of tokenistic uh csr things but but in in um you know em- embedding that practice into what they do in in thinking about their own um employees and stuff you know i'm sure i'm i know this is probably teaching to suck eggs and things but um nevertheless it's important i think to just think about the human stories behind a corporate you know and and the humans that make that corporate up so so and that applies not just in corporates i think but yeah in the council and in all of these institutions you know how individuals um interrelate with with the corporation as a movement so again on that four four level system you have the individual the core then you have how you work maybe with your colleagues how you work as a team and then how you all contribute but again it's this idea that flows through it of um mission mission oriented practice so so i know that you're already doing amazing work with some of the businesses here around our biggest social challenge which is undoubtedly our homelessness in in my, in my greater manchester now not just our rough sleepers but our hidden homeless as well and um and you know long that's great that that we're doing that and i think that is what we need to do we need to recognize that we are all contributing to a mission and and not to think of ourselves as this sector or that sector but just as contributors toward a shared goal. Excellent. And um, where can people find out more about you and your work? So you can follow me on Twitter if you like. You know, sometimes I do limit myself to um, however many characters it is, but I was delighted when they doubled, doubled it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is old-fashioned. Um, no, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, it's ruined it. It's ruined it. So so I'm on um, at Claire Devaney or um, Sis and I has got a, a website and Manchester M4 has got a website as well, manchester4.uk. So, um, yeah, please give us a follow and or get in touch. You know, happy to talk anytime. Thank you very much. Thanks to Claire. Thanks very much, Vaughan. And to our friends at Salford's Blueprint Studios for editing the final track. We'll be talking more about all this stuff in future casts. And if you have any comments or ideas for things to cover in the future, you can talk to us on Twitter. Uh, preferably in 140 characters or less, but maybe up to 280 at, at Cottonmouth MCR. We're available on all good podcast services. Give us a review if you have a moment. <laughs>